Our Bibles now, if you would please, and open them to Revelation chapter 13. And our subject, once again this evening, is the A in abomination. And of course, I'm speaking about the Antichrist, that world ruler who will come near the, uh, just before the end of this world. And we're speaking of actually the last world's ruler, because this is the last earthly kingdom of men. And it will be a kingdom that is exceedingly wicked in political and ecclesiastical power. Uh, The man who rules this empire is called the beast. That's what the Bible terms him in the book of Revelation in our King James Version. And he is a person who is a very bewitching personality. Uh, He appears to the people to be an economic savior. He comes at a time when people are looking for someone to deliver them out of just a chaotic mess that has been caused by man's wickedness, and more importantly, from God's wrath poured out upon that wickedness. And so he's a man who comes with promise, and he comes in peace, he comes with hope, and he comes with answers, he comes with political savvy, and even comes with religious compassion. Because he does something that no one in hundreds and hundreds of years has done for the Jews, and that is he comes and forges a political and religious alliance in which allows the Jews to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem and then to reinstitute their sacrifices. But this is a man who is really an abomination. He stands against God, and in a very short amount of time, he'll reveal, rather I should say, a true heart of a raging monster. He's not interested in the truth. He's only interested in his power, and he'll seek power and gain power at the expense of everyone who joins with him. In this 13th chapter of Revelation, we're digressing somewhat, and we're going back to see the rise of the Antichrist. So far, as we've been studying through the book, we've looked at the tribulation period and events that happened through God's eyes, and now we're going back to have a look at it through Satan's eyes and see the rise of this person called the Antichrist. Now, chapters 13 through 17 in Revelation are about his rise. And then when we get into chapters 18 and 19, we'll talk about the overthrow of the Antichrist. So what I'm trying to do in this this, uh, multi-part message is to give you an, an overview of the world's last ruler, And in these first ten verses that we read in Revelation 13, we find his rise and the mesmerizing power and hold that he has on the people. Now, if you'd stand with me, please, as we look in the book of Revelation, we want to read the first ten verses again. Uh, Revelation chapter 13, beginning at verse number 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven." 
And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of Lamb of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the time we have to come together and meet around your word. Lord, I ask you that you would help us to understand your word and we would see this great and terrible leader who's coming. And then also, Lord, that we might put all of our hope and our confidence in you who will finally rule the world in righteousness. Bless in our time together tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to begin tonight by going back and reviewing the first part of the message that I preached a couple of weeks ago. The first thing that we talked about was the prophecy of the beast. The idea that there is such a man as the Antichrist and that he would come was not a new uh, thing that we read in the book of Revelation. It's not something that was invented by the Apostle John. Uh, Many of you have heard the saying that the Old Testament is Christ revealed and the New Testament is, or the Old Testament rather, is Christ concealed, and the New Testament is Christ revealed. And there is some truth to that statement, because when we go back into the Old Testament, we do find many things that help us to understand better what God has written for us in the New Testament. And we can make better sense of the Word of God if we do have a background from the Old Testament and New Testament together. Uh, when you look into the book of Revelation, you'll often find that the reverse is true, that there are many, or some things at least, that are in the book of Revelation that are somewhat concealed to us, unless we go back and we understand the Old Testament texts that are written about it. And as we go into the Old Testament, we find that there is much prophecy about this person who is called the Antichrist. There's a revelation of him, and especially we find him in the book of Daniel. And we find really more that's written in the book of Daniel about the Antichrist than we find in the book of Revelation. Uh, Daniel speaks in several chapters about the Antichrist character. And he talks about the time of his rule. He uh, speaks of certain characteristics that are of his kingdom. And so when you read Daniel in conjunction with the book of Revelation, you'll have a much better understanding, a clearer understanding of what those things are that are taking place in the book of Revelation. And so in the first part of the message, we went over some of Daniel's prophecies, and particularly we looked at some that are in chapter 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 11. Then we also discussed how that Jesus predicted the coming of the Antichrist, And he confirmed Daniel's prophecy, and he confirmed that Daniel's prophecy actually had a dual nature. That there was a near fulfillment, and there was a far fulfillment of what Daniel said. And in uh, Daniel's writings, Jesus pointed out that he gave specific warnings about the Antichrist who would come, and how that uh, he would be particularly devastating for the Jews. And then Jesus also said that the deception of the Antichrist would be so powerful that if it were possible... He would deceive even the very elect of God. And then we mentioned also how that Paul prophesied of the coming of the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there is an especially enlightening text there that tells us about the satanic character of the Antichrist. 
And really, that is the whole point of what we're talking about. This person is the embodiment of the wicked angel Lucifer who fell from heaven. Lucifer will lose a war in heaven, and it's one that was designed to overthrow God. But he will lose that war, and then he'll be cast down to the earth. And then he puts all of his force and all of his power behind this person who is the Antichrist. And this is Satan's attempt, another attempt, to defeat God and his people. He comes down to the earth with great wrath, as we read in chapter 12. And that's because he knows that he has a short time. And so he'll try to stir up as much trouble as he possibly can. And then Satan, as you might say, puts his last gasp effort at defeating God. And he does this through this wicked person called the Antichrist. So he throws out his wrath against God and against those who had been converted to the gospel of Christ. Now in verse number 1, John sees the beast rise out of the sea. And he has strikingly similar characteristics to the seven-headed dragon that we saw in chapter 12 and verse number 3. Now the prophets foretold how this would happen, and John then gives us more explanation of how it takes place. Now the second thing that I'd like to talk to you about, and where we'll... Uh, begin a new part of the message tonight, is with the parentage of the beast. Where does this man come from? What, what is actually his ancestry? And what do we find in Scripture that uh, tells us about his ascendancy? And where do we uh, see how he gains his political power? Well, we're going to get into all of that in just a few moments. But I want to begin uh, by stating how that the Scripture is such an amazing, cohesive revelation. And I suppose that there are Many people who read the Bible and they pick up these 66 books that we call the Word of God and they are really don't look at it from the aspect that this is a really a cohesive revelation of the things of God. That all 66 books work together to give us the correct uh, revelation of Him. That these 66 books were written over uh, a period of 1,500 years from 40 different authors and yet all, all the books tell exactly the same story. Now, they may have very different aspects of that story, but each of them is a piece of the puzzle that's been put together by God so that when we look at them comprehensively, we get the whole picture of what God intends for us to know. And that doesn't matter whether you're talking about the doctrines of soteriology, which means doctrines of salvation, or whether we're talking about eschatology, which is doctrines of the end times. All of these things work together. And whenever you come up against something that doesn't seem to fit in and doesn't seem to work with what you read in the rest of the Bible, then you can be assured that somewhere you have a wrong interpretation because all of the Word of God works together. So that's what I'm here for. That's to help you to make sense of everything that we read and help us to understand it a little bit better. And unless you have a good doctrinal foundation in the Word of God, then you're constantly going to come up to brick walls that you simply can't climb over. And I think that's true when you study, for instance, the doctrines of grace. Uh, When you study that, unless you get those doctrines right and you begin to understand them, Uh, you're not going to see how the the Bible fits so clearly together. And so when you do understand them, then you don't find yourselves uh, avoiding certain portions of Scripture that many preachers avoid because they simply can't make them fit into all of their fuzzy doctrine. So a whole picture is necessary. And that's why we look into both the Old and the New Testaments when we 
when we teach the book of Revelation so we get a clearer understanding of it. And you'll, you'll see that just a little bit more as we go on into the message, why I make such statements. So John then sees this beast that's rising out of the sea. Or if you prefer the other interpretation, that it's actually Satan who sees this. And we have a continuation of chapter 12. Whichever, it really doesn't matter because we notice here that this, this Antichrist, this beast rising up out of the sea, bears a remarkable resemblance to Satan himself. And so we want to notice, first of all, his family likeness. Verse number 1 says that he has seven heads and ten horns. Now, if you'll glance back at chapter 12, verse number 3, you'll see the likeness there to the red dragon. And the red dragon, of course, is Satan. And it says that he has seven heads and ten horns. Now, we're not talking about the same creature. These are two different creatures. One is Satan. He is an angelic creature. That's in chapter 12. And the other one is a man. This is the man of chapter 13. And he rises out of the sea of humanity. And that is the Antichrist. But it certainly is no stretch of the imagination to say that these two are very much alike. Like father, like son. And so they bear a family resemblance. And so the Antichrist looks very much like this old serpent that's called the devil. But he's not the devil. I think that we can say that he is possessed by the devil. And some have suggested that the devil is such a counterfeiter of God, he is such a false imitator of God, that the devil actually mimics God with a false incarnation. That this is the devil's incarnation. Now, of course, we have in the Bible the incarnation of the Son of God, and the beast out of the sea appears to be Satan's attempt at an incarnation. Now, Satan, though, as we understand, is a created being. He's nothing at all like God, and so in one respect, the incarnations can't be anything alike. Uh, Jesus was God in the flesh, and I don't think that we can say here that this is Satan in the flesh. It is a false incarnation. Satan is a wannabe, and all that he's ever done is try to imitate God and try to be God and try to fool people. And so he has this false incarnation. But certainly the Antichrist does have every characteristic, uh, every characteristic of Satan. Now, there are many people who ask questions about this, and they want to know, well, who is the Antichrist? I mean, is he really a man? Is he someone who died and went to hell, and then he was resurrected and he's come back? Or is he a person that we're yet to see? And there are some people who read the text, and they say, well, he's not really a man at all. That what we're reading here is just symbolic language. And the Antichrist represents a system, or the language is speaking in a metaphor, and it's talking about an empire, it's speaking of a state or a government or some such thing, and, or maybe it's just talking about conditions that exist at that time. But I think it's evident as we read the Scriptures that it really is talking about a man. And I don't think that he's a man who died and went to hell and then came back. Satan does not have the power to resurrect anyone from the dead. And certainly Satan does not have power over hell like many people believe. Satan has no power over hell at all. He has no control. So I don't think that he could actually bring anyone up out of that place. Now if you look at verse number 3, the scripture says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So some think that that is a reference to a resurrection of some evil man who's been brought back up out of hell. 
There are some who say that the Antichrist is the reincarnation of Judas Iscariot. Some say that he's Nero who's come back to life. And others say that he's Hitler or Stalin. And you can find maybe a dozen different vicious people that lived in the past that, whose names have been suggested that they are the Antichrist. But I don't think that that's true. I think that he is a person who has not yet been born, or he may be a person that's alive today. And if that's true, then it means that the time of Christ's coming or that these end times are very near upon us. Now, when it says here that he comes up out of the sea, that means that he arises out of the sea of humanity. Most likely, he is a Gentile, and he comes from one of those nations that surrounds the Mediterranean Sea. And so that's why I rule out Obama. He's a good character, but he doesn't come from that region of the earth. So the beast, then, is a real person, but he's also representative of a world empire. And many commentators have pointed this out, that whenever you speak about a king, often you speak of the king as being representative of the empire that he controls. And so this particular king is an embodiment of the kingdom that he represents. For instance, when you speak of of Hitler... Uh, You don't think of Germany today, but you think about the Third Reich. And you think about all the evil that Hitler stood for. You think about Hitler who is synonymous with death camps and with cruelty and with murder. He's synonymous with the system that he put in place. And the very same thing is true of the Antichrist. He has a family resemblance to his father, the devil, and he bears all the evil characteristics. And whenever the scriptures speak about him, not only are they talking about the man himself, but they're speaking of the kingdom that bears his name. Then next we notice, secondly, his family lineage. Now I want to talk a little bit more about the seven heads and the ten horns in just a moment. But I want you to look now at verse number 2. And, uh, and by the way, I might say that I'm grateful to John Phillips for some of the alliteration uh, of these points throughout the message. Uh, John Phillips was an Arminian, and uh, I don't agree with him on too many things, but I am happy to borrow a little bit of his alliteration. I don't know if you like alliteration or not. You know, a few years ago, I kind of got stuck in this, where my mind works in all A, Bs, and Cs, and Ds, and, and things like that. The only problem is, there's only so many words that you can use, and at some point, they don't make sense any longer. I, I, really, I used to know a fellow that loved to do alliteration so much, that in all of his sermons, everything was perfectly alliterated, but the problem was that he had to find words that sometimes didn't have anything at all to do with what he was speaking about. And so you had to, uh, you know, kind of explore it and try to figure out how in the world did that word ever fit his point. But anyway, we're talking here about the lineage of the beast empire. Look at verse number 2. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. Now, there is a verse that gives us a hint to his lineage. Now, you'll see that the scriptures are not disjointed. Things fit together in the word of God. And here is a place where the leopard, the bear, and the lion do not appear in the scriptures haphazardly. So why is there this similarity to these animals that John sees? Well, guess where you have to go to find out? You have to go back to the book of Daniel. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. And remember again, when you study this on your own, that uh, take Daniel, read it along with the book of Revelation, and you'll see a lot of similarities here and some things that will help you understand better. But in Daniel chapter 7, we have uh, the 
meaning of this, or we see this again as Daniel sees it in prophecy. Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. And he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. Now, I'll stop right there because that is an interesting reference. The four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. Now, what Daniel is talking about there is the Mediterranean Sea. And in Revelation chapter 13, it's the Mediterranean Sea that has the metaphoric meaning of peoples that surround that entire area. Now, verse number 3, it says, And the four great beasts, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion, and had eagle's wings. And I beheld, to the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now let's start to put all of that together. These four beasts that rise up out of the sea are emblematic of empires. The lion represents Babylon. Now Daniel right then was living in the kingdom of Babylon, and I'm sure that he could look out of his window and he could see those uh, public buildings and see all of these statues, uh, statues and sculptures of lions, and those were symbols of Babylon's power. And then it says that this lion has eagle wings, and that speaks of the swiftness of of Babylon's power. And some have suggested that it also may refer to Nebuchadnezzar. And you may remember the story about where God drove him out, and he made his hair to grow like eagle's feathers and his fingernails like bird's claws. And you can read about that in Daniel chapter 4. And then in verse number 5, there is a second beast, and this beast is the bear. And so the kingdom that followed Babylon was the Medo-Persian Empire. Now you may remember this story as well, that Daniel had prophesied to Nebuchadnezzar's son Belshazzar that Babylon would be consumed by the Medes and the Persians. Uh, The story is that Belshazzar was sitting there in a drunken feast, and out of nowhere there was a hand that started writing on the wall. And this hand wrote a message that said, Meanie, meanie, tickle, you farzin. Now, Belshazzar was scared out of his wits when he saw this hand suddenly appear out of nowhere and begin to write. And so he called for all the soothsayers and he called for all the magicians and all the wise men to come and interpret what was written on the wall. And none of them could interpret it. So finally, they called Daniel. And Daniel was able to read the handwriting on the wall. And that's actually where we got the saying of the handwriting on the wall. And so Daniel read that, and what it said was that the Babylonian kingdom would be taken from Belshazzar, and it would be given to the Medes and the Persians. So that is the empire that's represented by the bear. Then Daniel saw a leopard, and this is 
really a truly remarkable prophecy because here Daniel sees the empire begun by Alexander the Great, which is the Grecian Empire. And of course that empire held much influence over the world and the world was conquered and caused the Greek language to become the uh, official language of the entire world. And if you remember this, that that's why the gospel was able to spread so rapidly around the world because there was a common language, which was Greek. And so God used that and God, that was all in God's plan. So that's the leopard. But then Daniel sees a fourth empire. There's a fourth beast that rises, and this one is mightier than them all. And this beast was a very extraordinary beast because this was a beast that had iron teeth. Well, no animal is able to fight against another animal that has iron teeth. And this particular animal represents the Roman Empire, and that was the mightiest empire of all. So the lineage of the Antichrist is that he has all of these characteristics and all the power of these former empires that are combined. Now, he's mightier than all of them, and his empire is actually the resurrection of the old Roman Empire, but it comes back in a far more terrible form. Now, back in our text verses in chapter 13 in Revelation, I believe that verse number 11 is actually an allusion to this Roman Empire. Look at verse number 3, if you would, in Revelation. It says, And I saw one of the heads as it were wounded to death, and this deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So this wound is the Roman Empire, and that wound is healed. And so this is the Roman Empire resurrected. Now, it's very interesting as you look around the world today and you look into Europe that there are pieces of the old Roman Empire that are still in existence. Uh, Many of Europe's empires, or countries, I should say, were once a part of the old Roman Empire. And once again, that will be confederated and all of those nations will be brought under this one world power of the beast. And it's also kind of interesting if you look at Europe today that you uh, know that there is a European Union There's an economic union in Europe, and all of the countries, or most of them, are united under a common currency called the euro. So one world government is really not so far-fetched an idea. It's not as far off as we may think that it is. And when you have people in our country that are ready to give up our national sovereignty for a more global economy, then you can see very, very easily how the Antichrist could rise to power. So you have all these former world empires that make up the kingdoms of the beast. And so his lineage then stretches all the way back to these ancient empires that are cited by Daniel in the Old Testament. And so the Antichrist empire will take all of the greatest of those former empires, combine it all together into one terrifying totalitarian state. And so the lion, the bear, and the leopard, and the animal with iron teeth represent those great kingdoms of the world, and they're all consolidated again under the kingdom of the beast. Now, if you look in Revelation chapter 13, verse number 4, it says, And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, and who is able to make war with them? And so you take all of the firepower of all those former kingdoms, you take all of their wisdom and all of their tenacity, you take all of that, put it together, take all of the strongest features, and you have the coming world empire of the Antichrist. And so the question is asked, who is able to stand against him? He's the greatest, most powerful leader of all time. 
And so you can take Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and Alexander and Julius Caesar and Napoleon and Kaiser, Wilhelm, Hitler and Stalin, Obama, whoever you want, and roll them all into one, and you won't have somebody that even approaches the power of the beast. Now, I want to notice one more thing about verse number 2 in Revelation 13 before we move on. In uh, verse number 2, we have the leopard, the bear, and the lion. But when we look in Daniel, we have the lion, the bear, and the leopard. And so there we see that the order is reversed. Now, why, why would that be? Well, it's because when Daniel writes about it, he's looking forward. First, there's Babylon, then Medo-Persia, and then the Grecian empires. John is looking backwards at it. He would see Greece, the Medo-Persians, and the Babylonians. Now, you read things like that, and you just say, who would have thunk it? Uh, God is so wise to put all of these little details into the Scriptures. So we have the prophecy and the parentage. Now, thirdly, then, is the power of the beast. And, of course, we must speak of his power. Where does he get his power? Well, you're going to be a little bit surprised at the answer to the question. Where does he get his power? Well, the real answer comes in part number six of this message that's way down uh, in the fourth time that I'm going to speak about this. It's a long way off. But I want to give you a hint as to where his power comes from. Look at verse number five. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Power is given unto him to continue forty-two months. Now, is that Satan's power? No, that's not Satan's power, because if it was Satan, Satan would have given him power forever. Satan would have given him a kingdom at last forever. But his power is limited to 42 months, because this is God who is the underlying power. Now, you can catalog that information away for future reference when we come to that. But I don't want to consider, at this particular point, the eternal purposes of God in this. Now, of course, God is working all things out according to a plan, and so he's the one who allows the power. That's the primary reason. But I want us to look at the immediate reason for this. And, of course, that is power that comes from Satan. So, first of all, we see his authority. In verse number 4, again, it says, And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. So, Satan is the one who is behind it all the way. Satan has been operating all along, and in this big head that he has, he really thinks that he's somebody. But Satan is a creature. And I suppose that the most degrading thing that, I, that we could say about all of us is that we're merely creatures. Now, we think that we're somebody, and we think that we know something, and we think we may have power, but we're nothing more than creatures, which means that we have a creator, and the creator is the one who controls us all. He's the one who has ultimate power over us. But Satan, in his mind, thinks that he has power, and so he gives his power to his little mini-me, and he invests him with all of his authority. Now, verse number 5 speaks of great blasphemies, and verse number 7 says he makes war with the saints. Verse number 8, it reemphasizes the worship that's given to him in verse number 4. And this is just typical Satan. He's talking big. He always talks big. And big talk is always impressive when it comes from a bully, isn't it? And the Antichrist is the biggest bully of all. Now, he, I would say, is the real gangbanger. So we're going to talk a little bit about his gang. So the next thing we want to talk about is his alliances. His alliances. Now, here's where we want to talk about those seven heads and the ten horns. What does all of that mean? Well, the seven heads, once again, refers to his lineage. These are the composite kingdoms, composite of the kingdoms that have come before. Now, if you'll turn a few pages over to chapter 17, 
Here John gives us some further explanation about the heads and the horns. Revelation 17, verse number 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. Now let me remark right there that the woman here is not the same woman that we saw back in chapter 12. There the woman is Israel. But here this woman is ecclesiastical, uh, the ecclesiastical power of the beast. In verse number 8 it says, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and it's not and yet is. Now there we have another reference to names written down in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And of course we just read that in chapter 13 verse number 8. And when we finish those first ten verses of chapter 13, we're going to come back to this. And I'm going to preach a sermon on the names that are written before the foundation of the world. And of course, we're speaking there of the great doctrine of election. And that's the doctrine that took the F out of the fundamentalist and turned it into the F of fizzle. Because they kind of get lost trying to explain all of those names written before the foundation of the world. Verse number 9, he says, And here is the mind which hath wisdom... The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. Now let's split that one out. Let's see what he's talking about here. He begins and he says that there are seven heads which represent seven mountains. I think that most likely that that refers to the city of Rome. And of course, that is the headquarters of the empire. We're speaking about a a revived Roman empire. And if you know your history, you know that Rome is very famously built across seven hills. Then he goes on and he says that the seven heads represent seven kings. Five of them are fallen. Now, if we go back into ancient history, there were actually five major empires that preceded the Roman Empire. Now, Daniel only mentions three because he begins with the one that he was then in, and that was the Babylonian Empire. But there are five empires that were actually in the world before Rome, and those were the Egyptian, the Assyrian, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, and the Grecian. So that's five empires. Then John says that there is one that is... And that would be the Roman Empire that was in power when John wrote this. So that makes six. So we have those five, and then the six is the Roman Empire. Then he says that the other is not yet come. And that is the seventh empire, which is the revived Roman Empire. That's the one that's still yet to come. And then in verse number 11, he says, And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. So the eighth is the Antichrist himself, and he comes out of the seventh, and that is the revived empire. So you have these seven heads that represent all of these kingdoms. Then it talks about horns. Now horns represent power. Beasts that have horns are beasts of power. You ever watch the uh, rodeo clips and they let the bull out and the bull comes out there and gores the cowboy? That's horns represent his power. Or you may watch on television the running of the bulls in Spain where these fools get out there with all these these uh, bulls that are chasing them and, 
and get run down by them. That's what I want to spend my vacation money on. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, and then you have animals like a rhinoceros. I mean, who wants to get stuck on the horn of a rhinoceros? So horns represent power. John explains that in verse number 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and he shall give their power and strength unto the beast. And so these ten horns represent ten kings that are yet to come into power. The number ten there may not even actually represent ten specific kingdoms, but rather it may refer to the totality of the kingdoms of the world. Ten is a number that's used in Scripture as one of those numbers of completion, and it, and it uh, applies to men. So the ten here could mean all the consolid power of all the world's empires come under the power of the beast, and they support his kingdom. So what we have here then is just this awesome political structure headed up by the most heinous person who has ever lived. All of this worldly power, all of the worst activities, all the hatred, the violence, and the blasphemies are all rolled together into this one kingdom and hurled at God and his people. And it's not going to be a pretty sight. The Antichrist is drunk with power. But just like we read back in chapter 12, he only has so much time. The devil has just a short time, and that's why he throws all in, and he gives this pet of his so much power. So there we have the prophecy, the parentage, and the power of the beast. And we've still got a ways to go on this, and we're going to talk more about what this person is like personally, and and also what the overall plan of the Antichrist is all about. But I want to finish with something else, and that is that all of this that we're talking about looks like there is no hope. All of the kingdoms of the world are lined up behind this particular person. And just like that stampede of the, of the bulls in Spain, I mean, they're, they're, they're running like the bulls, going all out to try to run over God and his people. But do you remember what John saw before this? God had given him just a little bit of a peek into the future to see what would happen in the very end. Now, you and I, we can read the rest of the story. We can go to chapter 19, and we can read on to the end in in chapter 22. And it's very clear to us who is going to win all of this, who's in control of everything. But I think as John uh, writes these things down, and as God has given him the revelation bit by bit, he must have been a little bit overwhelmed by what God was saying to him. But then you remember God gave him the peak at the end. All of these kingdoms are allied against Christ, but... We saw something before we come to this place that John wrote, and it's in chapter 11, verse number 15. And remember what it says? The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And that's what you really have to remember. God has his plan, and God has his people, and it simply is not going to change. God is in control of it all. Now, the devil has only a short time to reign, but the Scripture says when Jesus comes, he shall reign forever and forever. And that's what we're looking forward to. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And as we look into this and see these terrible things that are coming upon the world, we're so grateful that right now, through the power of Jesus Christ, we may believe Put our faith and trust in him and be assured that we will never have to worry about any of these things that are happening. And Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight who may not know you as Savior. 
I pray that they might come to see this and have an understanding of what is about to come. And we don't know the moment, the hour that you will appear upon this earth again. And Lord, when you come to take your people home, we think there's very good indication that those who have heard the gospel of Christ before you come will not profess you afterwards. So we pray for people who have heard this message tonight. And I ask you, Lord, that you might draw someone to you and through the gospel of Christ they might understand they must have their faith and their trust in you. Bless us as we sing and thank you for your people who are here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.